as we prepare to study God's word, let's pause again to pray. Father, you love us and you want to communicate with us. May our ears be attentive. May our hearts be receptive. And may your good seed, the good seed of your gospel, touch our lives and produce a rich harvest to your glory. For we ask it all through Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. We've reached the third in our four sermon series in September, looking at congregational basics. We've thought together about the importance of gathering and, and going. And this week we're thinking about giving, next week gifting. Now you may think that a talk on giving seems rather inappropriate in this season with job losses being announced daily. The economic or the economy in its biggest recession in our lifetime. More COVID restrictions seem imminent and Brexit's looming on the horizon. But I suspect there is no better time than this to think about such matters. And certainly the Apostle Paul, I believe, would agree. Christian author John Bloom makes this comment. He says, heaven and hell are at stake in how we raise, spend and reserve money. Because the way we handle money either adorns or obscures the gospel. And the Apostle Paul, he wrote the words that Helene read for us, stood out from the rest of his society for a myriad of reasons, but particularly to discover that he, he was different from the crowd because in a world filled with dissatisfaction, he was content. And this contentment had been learned by him through the testing circumstances of life. It was as though Paul had passed through the, the various stages of an apprenticeship, finally to graduate, to know the secrets of the trade of living the contented life. And that's a tough course of study and not one into which many would eagerly enroll. But what a wonderful reward Paul received for his efforts. That in everything he had to endure, he discovered this amazing truth. That when he had Christ as his saviour, he had all that he needed. Paul was both satisfied in Christ and satisfied with Christ. There was nothing that he wanted that was not found in his relationship with the one who loved him and who gave himself for him. Covetousness and contentment are opposites. If you want what you don't have, you steal the joy of the experience of what you do have. You cannot be content if you do not gain satisfaction from both your possessions and your experiences. Hopefully you know the story of, of the Exodus, how God led his people through the wilderness for 40 years. They had his provision and his power visibly with them every single day. But it seems that this was never enough. They were always grumbling, always crying out for more. And at the end of his leadership spell of 40 years, Moses preached to them a sermon, Deuteronomy, uh, the book of Deuteronomy. is one big sermon from Moses. And there in chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, he said this. 
and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The people's hearts were tested and tried to see if they could understand what is of primary importance. And for the many who perished in the desert, they failed this test miserably, refusing to be content with God's gracious provision for their needs. Paul had contentment. And the key to understanding this is the lesson that all God's children must learn, that we are to be Christ-sufficient, content in him. Sinclair Ferguson writes, bringing this challenge, we live in a society which is permeated by a spirit of discontentment. Greed has destroyed gratitude. Getting has replaced giving. It is a time to ask, am I content in Christ? So are you? Are you content in Christ? The context of these verses is that while in prison, the Apostle Paul received a significant gift of support from the congregation in Philippi. And while it is clear that Paul is deeply grateful for the gift, he's much more concerned about what the gift means for the congregation who gave it. It represents a spiritual burden they were willing to bear. It develops a spiritual bond that they were willing to build. And it confirms a spiritual blessing God would certainly bring. Let's look at each of those three things in turn. Number one, a, a spiritual burden they were willing to bear. Paul experienced contentment because he knew that Christ would meet his needs. And he rejoices with the Philippian church because those needs for this season were met through the generosity of his fellow believers from the church in Philippi. Paul makes his joy for this gift evident when he writes in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Why did he rejoice in the Lord and not in the Philippians? Is he directing his thankfulness to the wrong target? Absolutely not. It is because of gospel transformation, the work of the Spirit of God in the lives of the Philippians, that this gift has been forthcoming. This, game, this gift came not from Philippi, but from heaven. And God is displaying his goodness through the generosity of his people. Christians are necessarily generous. If you're not generous in heart, you're not God's child. There are many generous people who are not Christians, but there are no Christians who are not generous people. And the idea here is that you're willing to share a portion of a spiritual burden. You'll have seen those very well-produced 
advertising campaigns for charities that suggest that your regular contribution to support their work will make absolutely no difference to you. You know the sort of thing. For the price of just a cup of coffee each week, you'll be able to support whatever it might be. And the point they're trying to emphasize, the message they're trying to get across is that it's not going to cost you much. It's not really going to hurt your bank balance. You'll probably not even notice that the money's going out at all. It'll not be missed by you. But that's never the message declared by the agents of the kingdom of God. Throughout the scriptures and particularly from the lips of Jesus and the Gospels, we are told that commitment that we're required to make is going to cost us everything. It's going to hurt us a lot. And when Jesus commands those who would be his followers that they would take up their cross, we understand that it's not that we're going to put a little gold chain around our necks and wear it there. No, the call of Christ is a call that will hurt us because it's meant to. And so Jesus urges any who would follow to make sure they count the cost before they sign up to this. Discipleship is going to demand a great deal from you. It's only appropriate that it should. King David sinned in counting the fighting men in Israel. And as a consequence, God punished the nation with a plague. The record of these events is found in the book of 2 Samuel in the 24th chapter. And when David sought to stay the hand of, the, of God and his judgment, he, he, he went to make a sacrifice on the threshing floor of a man called Aruna. And he offered him everything free of charge, the, the wood, the animals, the place. And we read in 2 Samuel 24 and verse 24. But the king said to Aruna, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David brought, bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David understood that while he could never adequately repay God for his goodness to him, such resources were not available, not even to a king. Yet any offering, any sacrifice of worship to be acceptable to God would have to cost him. And here Paul viewed the financial support he received from the Philippians as a sacrificial gift. Look down at verse 18. There he describes it as follows. As a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Brother and sister in Christ, you should ask yourself, do I take up my cross daily and follow after Jesus? Do you, do you really walk in the costly path of obedience as he leads you day by day? Or was this just a decision that you made years ago and it doesn't really impact how you live from moment to moment, provided you, you take a few religious boxes and throw something in the basket every now and then? I'm sure you know the words of Romans 12 verse 1. There Paul writes, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
our worship, our service, our giving, our going must always be sacrificial. It must always be a burden that we are willing and eager to bear. Just in passing note, verse 13, and recognize how many times that's been taken out of context and used as a motto to human achievement. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Note what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I can endure any hardship. I can overcome any lack. I can carry on in the face of any opposition. All of this only through Christ who is his undepletable, inexhaustible resource. Paul was Christ-sufficient, not self-sufficient. And Christ's power was made perfect in Paul's weakness, as he wrote in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. So giving was a spiritual burden they were willing to bear. And it forged a spiritual bond they were willing to build. Look down at verse 14 where Paul writes, It was kind of you to share or to have fellowship in my trouble. Sometimes it's far too easy to give money to a needy cause. But that could not be said of the Philippian church. They didn't just stick a check in the post and then get on with their lives with their conscience not eased. Rather, they shared, they had partnership with Paul in his struggles, in his sufferings. And this was uh, personified, exemplified in the individual called Epaphroditus. Here we learn back in chapter 2 and verse 27, nearly died as he came to serve alongside Paul. You see, the Philippians weren't just involved or interested in, they weren't just interested in Paul's ministry, they were involved in it. It's as though Paul was on the front line in battle, having carried the message of the gospel deep into enemy territory. But they were part of the logistics, a vital supply chain that ensured that the necessary resources were brought to the battlefront. Picture it like the merchant navy convoys of the Second World War that brought food and armaments across the Atlantic. These vessels may not have been fitted out for combat, but their part was nonetheless essential. And the threat that they faced from U-boats was ever-present. Partnership in the gospel is costly. And that is what we desire here within our fellowship. Partnership in the ministry of our church and the mission in the world. We don't just want people who will come along and give us money and then walk away. Rather, we're covetous of your prayers and for your willingness to engage in the costly work of participation in the advance of the kingdom of Christ. And note, look down at verse 15, that this was a bond between both giving and receiving. And if truth be told, there are times whenever we're far more comfortable with the idea of giving and really rather discomforted with the thought of receiving. But where there is fellowship, where there is intimate relationship, in such circumstances, you have no difficulty receiving. When my children come to visit, many times I've just discovered that they take home rolls of toilet paper with them to save them buying their own. 
But that's never a problem because it's part of a loving relationship. There's no embarrassment in receiving when you know you're loved. When you develop a deep spiritual bond, giving and receiving comes naturally. Giving was a spiritual burden the Philippians were willing to bear and it forged a spiritual bond which they were willing to build. And finally, we read of a spiritual blessing that God will certainly bring. Paul was delighted to receive this gift because he knew it would result in a rich blessing for the givers. God is no man's debtor. And when we give to support the work of his church, he ensures a blessing is returned into the lives of those who give. Verse 17, Paul writes, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now this is a very difficult issue. And it requires a note of caution. For this idea is too often misused as a tool to manipulate and entice people to give. I can vividly remember the anger I felt toward one Christian ministry when I read a letter that was proudly shown to me by a patient in Hollywell Hospital. Trevor had had sent some money to a ministry that he he watched on a satellite TV channel. And, And they then had replied saying how blessed he would be for giving his gift. And then the letter went on to say, and if you'd only commit to giving so much more every month, well then that would guarantee that God would provide even greater blessing in his life. You see, there is this tension. The reward that is from heaven is guaranteed, but it must never be sought, but simply received. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew 6, verses 3 and 4, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Do you know what Jesus is saying here? He says your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. And in that circumstance, your father rewards you. And what an encouragement that is. That in these days of incredibly low interest rates, it's uh, so difficult to, to find somewhere to get a good return on a financial investment. At least using a reputable banking institution. But the dividends are considerable for those who use their resources to further the advance of Christ's kingdom. As you read at the start of our service, those words from Proverbs 3, Honour the Lord with your wealth. Your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. As we consider our duty as followers of Christ Jesus to give support for the work of his kingdom, we have to be mindful of these two truths. There is a reward to be received but there's also a resource to be relied upon. When God's people give, see how there are vast resources now unlocked for us. Philippians 4 verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The Philippians had given Generously, 
sacrificially out of their limited resources. And in response, God gives according to his riches in glory. His is a limitless and inexhaustible and undepletable supply. C.H. Spurgeon called this verse the checkbook at the bank of faith. But we need to understand this. This richness is not limited by our faith. Rather, it is its only constraint is the restriction of God's grace, which we know is beyond measure. And that is a wonderful thought to us. God's child may go hungry. She may be financially poor. But of this, each one of us can be assured that we will always have enough of Jesus. And in him are glorious riches, which are designed to satisfy the longings of our heart. So that that would enable us to live in this life with contentment. A contentment that the world knows so little of. And to eagerly anticipate that one day beyond this place and time, we will be richly compensated for any sacrifice we may have experienced here and now. So ask yourself, am I content in Christ? Let's pray together. Father, we look around us at this world that is deeply discontented. A world that lacks satisfaction with a hunger for more and more. And yet with all that they gain, they never get enough because they are searching in the wrong place. Lord, may we, your people, model a different lifestyle, a different way to live. May we show that having Jesus, we have enough. There's nothing more we want, nothing more we require. We are deeply satisfied in him. Lord, forgive us if that's not the truth. Forgive us if if Jesus is not enough for us. And help us to see all those empty passing pleasures can never equate to the unsurpassing joy that is found for those who walk with Jesus day by day. So may we hunger for the living word, the bread of life, Jesus Christ our Lord, and find in him our heart's desire. For you are, you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. So may we know that even today, trusting in Jesus, finding strength in him. For in his name we pray. Amen.